The Triathlon Show 394. Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and on today's episode we have part two of my interview with uh, Michele Zanini. If you missed part one, don't worry, you do not necessarily have to listen to uh, these two parts in order because we cover specific topics within each. Uh, I do recommend that after you finish listening to this episode today, you go back and listen to part one because there's a lot of really interesting uh, stuff and information in that one as well. In today's episode, in part two here, we discuss strength training for endurance performance and uh, Michele's work with legendary running coach Renato Canova, including going through some of the main Canova training principles. And uh, in last week's episode, we discussed uh, Michele's work as a physiologist and strength and conditioning coach within the Italian Triathlon Federation, as well as the science of running economy and durability. But before we get into part two of this interview, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration. They help athletes perform at their best with electrolyte and fueling products and with free online tools, education, and a patented sweat test. You can use the free fuel and hydration planner on their website to get a personalized plan for your carbohydrate, sodium, and fluid intake. And you can also book a free 20-minute video consultation to chat through your plan with the athlete support team. I have used their entire range of products for a long time, and I think they are absolutely brilliant. And you can get 15% off your first order by using the code TTS20 on precisionfuelandhydration.com and thank you to Zenate the Zenate indoor swim trainer allows you to improve your technique power and swim training consistency even when you're short on time it is a great tool for busy athletes because you can do a quality workout in just 15 minutes at home even on days when you don't have time to get to the pool and it is the perfect complement to pool and open water swimming because it allows you to focus specifically on certain key aspects of your swimming like your catch and your power and isolate them more easily than you could in the water you can try the Zenate risk-free for up to 30 Days. So if you don't love it, just send it back and you can get 20% off your first order on senatesinter.com forward slash TTS. Now without any further ado, here's part two of my interview with Michele Zanini. And uh, about that study that you uh, that you talked about that is not yet published, can you give an overview of the strength, the type of strength training, the protocol that was used there? And then maybe from there we can move into more yeah general thoughts on strength training and how you use it also within the applied uh performance setting that you're working in yeah of course um for the strength protocol we've had two two sessions per week about one hour each uh, for 10 weeks uh, and uh, we aim to improve uh, uh plyometrics where well, we we implemented plyometrics exercises so there were I think two plyometric exercises each session and uh, maximum strength uh, for, for the lower limbs. Uh, so for the details, we had uh, uh, full squats, uh, uh, leg press, uh, single leg, sorry, single leg, leg press uh, and uh, isometric calf raise. Uh, and that's coming from another study that they've recently done in Germany for which uh, via isometric calf raises, uh, they managed to improve uh, energy cost the energy cost of running by about four percent uh and uh, yeah that that was basically like yeah thinking well actually the muscle fibers in the calf they they act uh, quite isometrically during running because uh, most of the work is uh, is done via the the tendon so 
shall we try to do that in training and see how that influences uh, um, influences the outcome from a running perspective afterwards yeah that, that makes total sense and uh and you as a strength and conditioning coach how how do you view it maybe if we start with triathlon let's say when you're advising the italian athletes how yeah what what are your general thoughts on on how how you want to see it implemented in that setting yeah uh, from an applied perspective it, it does get quite different uh, because uh, you you have uh, well with research you have the constraints of uh, Making sure that uh, everything is standardized uh, and the athletes uh, they they basically just do the work instead of learning exercises. So there's, there's no chance to really progress much. There's no chance to periodize as much with uh, athletes uh, uh, outside of research settings. Uh, you have I don't know plans that they they probably start from six seven months onwards. With the athletes I work with, I tell them well uh, we we really want to start thinking about improvements that uh, they, they can be developed over a year or more because otherwise it, got, it just gets too cramped up. Uh, but yeah, as for what uh, I try to do and how, how to, I try to implement it, it's first of all trying to, to think about the races they have and plan around that. Uh, so prioritize the strength training based on that. Uh, so one of the errors I, I see uh, around is that athletes sometimes they just keep repeating the same exercises every time they go to the gym uh, and maybe that is helpful for uh, injury prevention perspective but uh, not necessarily for a performance enhancement perspective uh, it's i always give the example of uh, well you're always doing the same in the gym uh, but don't you don't do always the same uh, uh, in your aerobic exercises you don't go for the same ride every week you don't go for the same run every week so that that's a bit the the insight that i try to give them at the, at the beginning when when they start when we start working together or even just like when i give insights to the coaches you have different uh, targets that you want to uh, enhance uh, throughout throughout the season um, as for the goals uh, or just like type of strength uh, that we want to develop uh, well, from the evidence uh, you got plyometrics uh, maximum strength uh, and explosive strength uh, that they tend to improve performance uh, not only running economy or fatigue development but also maximum sprinting speed and potentially speed of view to max due to improvement in, in running economy and you really don't have any uh, decrease in other parameters uh, so that that is something quite uh, uh, yeah it's, it's worth pointing it out because a lot of people they 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 are afraid of losing fitness get slower uh, whatever whatever may be uh, when they implement strength training but the evidence tells you well you're not getting bigger so i think rich playground did uh review a few years ago about it and uh, well out of 24 studies 22 they didn't find any change in body mass uh, you don't get slower at all if anything you get faster and uh, well that argument uh, it's it's easily uh, taken off uh, by looking at what type of work the sprinters do sprinters uh, well, they have to be very fast uh, but that's basically their aim and they still do a lot of strength training but then, yeah, the implementation, uh, it, it's a bit more tricky because I believe uh, uh, 
one of the issues with with endurance uh, sports is that you either have the endurance coach uh, that tries to implement some strength training uh, without really knowing uh, how to implement it uh, because he doesn't have the time uh, to look into uh, strength training resources and uh, basically the physiological adaptations that uh, you can have uh, and they they may just get the target uh, wrong the volume, uh, the weight, uh, the, the type of exercises, and so on. And on the other hand, you may have strength coaches that they try to support endurance athletes, uh, but sometimes they get uh, the approach of power athletes or, or uh, yeah, just more strength-oriented sports and volumes are much higher because the ceiling for adaptation for more power trained athletes is lower and therefore after three or four sessions uh, the athletes don't feel like doing it anymore because they they always sore or if they keep on doing it they keep having that soreness which uh, which really um, creates uh, issues with with everything else uh, from from a anaerobic from a aerobic perspective uh, in uh, in in, in the main sports or running or triathlon or cycling, whatever it is. Uh, so yeah, just make sure first of all to avoid uh, creating soreness to the athletes. And uh, then uh, as we said before, just uh, try to see where the athletes and, and the coach you're supporting are at the moment and build from there. Uh, I don't think there's like a framework for which uh, I go or yeah, do this and that and that and that uh, is more uh, about meeting the group I'm supporting where where it is and then moving from there towards uh, a goal from a long-term perspective. With creating soreness, do you think that that's more related to um, or is it, is it is it related simply just to the overall load, so so weight times repetitions, or is it more related to one than the other? Say, is the number of repetitions more likely or that to cause soreness, or is it more the the weight that you're lifting that could be a useful uh, useful um, I guess rule of thumb if there is one uh, for the listeners to be aware of? Yeah, I think it's related to the volume first of all. Uh, of course, soreness. Uh, comes uh, primarily from eccentric uh, damage so basically what happens is your fibers uh, uh, they 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 tear when when you exercise and then well when you do strength training and then uh, you've got a response an inflammatory response and a super compensation to to create stronger fiber bigger fiber as uh, as you're recovering so i think that's fine for a couple of sessions uh, or it can even be a bit more, maybe at the very beginning of the period where, when you are away from races, but then uh, when you maybe changing the target, let's say from maximum strength to power, you may get, again, one day or two days uh, where the athletes feel slightly sore the day after, but then after that, you really want to avoid that primarily when, when you're uh, around the, the racing season. So I think with endurance athletes, uh, uh, I always try to, go if anything too little than too much because they got uh, an exposure to something that they've never done so even if they're elite athletes uh, they've never really done heavy lifting or they've never really done plyometrics uh, and being exposed to that the first for the first time it will create uh, an adaptation regardless uh, of uh, sub 
optimal volume um, and plus the ceiling of, of, of adaptation, as we said before, it is far higher than power sports or uh, strength dominant sports. So let's say a power outfit can, can be at 95% of the maximum capacity with, with within that strength uh, outcome. Uh, an endurance athlete can be at 80, 75. I'm just drawing numbers here, uh, but it gives you an idea. You basically don't need as much work to improve uh, compared to, to power athletes. So volume, I think it, it's the one that needs to go down. Uh, you can't really play too much with intensity because you want to get uh, that specific adaptations due to the load. So. Uh, there's a little bit of mixed evidence at the moment about the optimal load for uh, hypertrophy and maximum strength and, and so on. But, well, uh, let's say that we can stick to uh, over 80% of uh, 1RM max, so the load that you can lift with one repetition, and you want to aim for some exercises that create that they have a load of over 80% of it for um, for improvement of maximal strength and then I always suggest the athletes to do it with maximal intent so the speed of the lift is also important basically even if your lift is maximal so let's say 70 or 60% 1 RM if you do it as fast as you can you're still activating more fibers and more fibers are working and therefore you will have an, an adaptation of more fibers than just uh, performing it uh, controlled. Uh, so yeah, I wouldn't compromise intensity, uh, but definitely uh, lower the lower the volume. And, and the other thing is just keep uh, the sessions relatively brief. Uh, I wouldn't go over one hour. Uh, most of the time, 15 minutes is fine. Sometimes you may stretch because you have an extra exercise to work on from a prehab perspective or you're learning some, some new exercises and, and these sort of things. But yeah, usually 50 minutes is more than enough to do everything. And if you, if you need to cut off something, uh, you may just want to remove one exercise. Uh, don't cut recovery. So that's one of the other things that endurance athletes and coaches tend to do. It's just like, uh, getting the strength walk as a, as a repeats workout. Uh, okay. One, one fifteen, one thirty. let's go. Uh, whether with, with strength training physiologically is, is different. You need the, that two, two and a half minutes to replenish the phosphocreatine to produce uh, force and power efficiently again. Uh, and if you cut it, uh, it just won't be as effective. Yeah, absolutely. And do you have any rule of thumb for how many reps to failure or from failure the, the athletes should lift? So that's something that, um, yeah, you hear a lot of advice about in terms of, yeah, leave one rep in the tank or leave two to three reps in the right. tank. What, what is your rule of thumb? Yeah, uh, I remember listening to Ben Tronestad uh, a few weeks ago on your podcast about this. And he said, I think he said that he doesn't really leave any because the room of adaptation for, for athletes, uh, for endurance athletes is so high that they're very far from their max anyway, uh, which makes sense. Uh, and I may, I may push it a little bit myself, uh, thanks to, to that advice, but yeah, at the moment I leave it to, let's say, yeah, it really depends on, on the target, but let's say, uh, if you're within the maximum strength realm, so let's say up to five, six reps, uh, you may go for 
two reps in reserve. So if you can do five, you're going to do three. Uh, if uh, you're more towards the uh, general strength slash hypertrophy phase, maybe at the beginning, you can leave two to three. So let's say you can do 10, you do seven or eight. Uh, and uh, besides uh, the fact that you want to leave some reps in the tank just to avoid uh, that uh, soreness and that uh, not maladaptation, but like excessive load. Uh, it also goes uh, to the safety side of it because the closer you get to your limit, uh, the less uh, uh, precise your movement will be. So I I, I try to keep uh, exercises with with free weights, so barbells and maybe dumbbells. Uh, I, I rarely use leg presses or other uh, guided. Uh, guided machines uh, so you you want to make sure that the safety is is there and and another thing about volume uh, it may not only be the volume of that uh, single set uh, but the overall volume of the exercise so instead of four sets you may do two sets in some parts of the season and uh, volume as exercises so instead of having three leg exercises you may just do two for example yeah and uh you mentioned working a lot with plyometrics and uh, weights, lifting relatively heavy. I'm not saying that you do that all the time necessarily, but but those are parts of the strength training that you implement, and and that's obviously what we, as you have talked about, see in the in the literature generally when when it comes to the type of strength training that improves endurance performance. Uh, however, uh, if you maybe have heard interviews that I done with, for example, Matt Pendola quite recently, and also Aaron Carson towards the end of last year, uh, I my interpretation of of those interviews at least is that they take a slightly different approach with um, more focusing on let's say form mechanics not so much on going heavy matt pendola for example talked a lot about using banded exercises and and so on what what's your what's your take on that do you implement those sorts of things as well and and what is your opinion on on completely or mostly leaving out anyway the heavy strength in favor of just those sort of let's say form-based biomechanical exercises yeah yeah i've listened to to the podcast with with matt recently as well and it seems to be something that well uh it, it there are a fair few people working with uh, endurance athletes that they do that like avoiding uh, strength heavy strength uh, heavy lifting uh, or power dominant exercises or plyometrics uh, in favor of uh, form in favor of prevention and so on so i think uh, i'm coming to a point to to believe that there's like the strength coaches coming from strength and conditioning that they know how to improve uh, performance uh, and how to optimize that uh, and then there are more uh, conditioning uh, slash uh, uh, physio coaches with with a physio background so physiotherapy background that they they aim more to have that prevention lenses towards uh, towards strength training uh, you need both uh, certainly and uh, uh, i don't do uh optimal job with with prevention i think uh, just because i'm not a physiotherapist so if, if i need to work on that side for for a specific problem or try to prevent some some uh, potential issue that may may happen with with the athlete i may talk with uh, the physiotherapist of the athlete or of the federation and we work together with that so i think that's 
very important and again blends into the teamwork that i was mentioning before um but yeah uh, i come primarily from the strength uh, for endurance to enhance performance uh, and uh, as far as i can tell i can't remember any reference uh, that uh, mentions i don't know core training or uh, flexibility or just working on uh, accurate technique uh, enhances performance uh, and uh, well that's of course a limitation of uh, research once again because protocols they they tend to be uh two three months long maybe so eight to 12 weeks let's say and you probably have uh, the effect of this type of work that uh, they take longer to develop. Uh, so I, I can't tell which one would, would be best. I, uh, I, I come from that strength dominant uh, spectrum, but yeah, I try to implement uh, the prevention side as well. And, and that's, that's definitely important because you want the athlete to be able to just, just perform their running or just general aerobic exercise consistently. And if you don't get uh, uh, the prevention side in, you might just uh, risk to, to overload some specific tissues. But yeah, besides some, some slightly basic exercises or progressions that I've developed uh, over time, uh, I don't have the, the capacity and, and knowledge to, to focus my program on that really. Yeah, I think that's a good answer. And what I'm thinking, maybe tell me what what you think about about these thoughts. But um, we we know from the literature that uh, the basic exercises with some like decent intensity uh, repeated f- uh, consistently over eight to twelve weeks or or even or more if you can that that tends to work really well for a lot of endurance athletes for the majority of them you see a good uh, a good improvement in economy for example uh, with uh, let's say focusing more on moving away from the heavier weights and, and focusing on form based exercises i think that can it, it makes sense if you if you're there with the athlete or at least you can see them virtually and you can really assess the individual like what exactly is it that you need to work on where are you limited you can work on a very specific thing but it's probably a lot harder if not impossible to to work to make that kind of program work a bit more let's say gener- generically across the board with with athlete because athletes might have so individual limitations in their movement quality and so on that's at least where uh, where my mind goes when i'm comparing these two approaches yeah no exactly and uh, well still with with the lifts uh, you want to make sure that uh, the movement is there first of all so if you need to regress uh, the uh, exercise or do something easier because the athlete is not able to to do a deadlift or a full squat because of some motor control limitation or just like anatomical limitation or uh, flexibility limitations or anything related to that. You just regress that uh, to keep it more simple. But yeah, I try to keep the focus on the uh, the weight and the capacity of the athlete to, to produce high level of power really. Uh, but yeah, form form comes first. So when you start working with athletes that they're new to strength training, the first part of it is just try to assess the movement and make sure that they can perform the movement safely and you target the right muscles. Because if you just do something which is even slightly different, you may activate muscles differently and that increases 
the risk of injuries as well as uh, uh, creates a sub-optimal sub- sub- adaptation due to uh, the activation of different, different muscles compared to the target. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I'm aware that we have already exceeded our uh, calendar slot. Do you have time still? Uh, so we can go into some of the questions re- related to run training and working with Renato Canova and so on? Or Yeah, don't worry. Don't worry. Carry on. Perfect. So yeah, let's start with, with that one. You mentioned having worked with uh, Renato Canova. How has he and working with him influenced your view on running and run training and endurance training in general? Yeah, I mean, basically the person I, I, look, I looked for when, when I started uh, prescribing training. So with that, basically he wrote a book probably in 1999 or 2000, something like that. And I read it and it was the first one that actually gave me some good methodological steps to follow uh, for for training prescription with uh, specific examples and uh, like frameworks to to develop your own training uh, uh, programs uh, and then from there followed up on uh, everything that he wrote on let's run.com so he, he was used to write a lot on that blog he's probably doing it still not as much but he was just just to post every workout or workouts that people were asking about his athletes and his view of uh, uh, abc so i don't know uh, the type of training for marathon or type of training for middle distance running and so on so got really into that uh, and then uh, eventually uh, i managed to to get to meet him at a conference uh, asked him a few things i was a, a, a I've already been in Kenya back then with another coach uh, for, for an internship. Uh, and I said, well, maybe able to come back. And he was like, oh, let me know. Uh, so eventually I met him in, it- in Italy for d- during the training camp that he was having with uh, uh, Sondre Moen, a Norwegian marathon runner that uh, he, I think he, I don't know if he had the European record, but well, he ran 205, uh, 45 that, that season. Uh, and I think it was before the super shoes, so quite remarkable performance. Um, but yeah, basically just get the chance to to be with him uh, for a couple of days, uh, and and then from there just consistently been been with him uh, in Italy, and then uh, he had the training camp in Kenya, and uh, I could go with him and and start uh, start supporting uh, part of the work that he's been doing uh, with uh, with strength training. Um, one, one, one remarkable thing about Renat is that he's, he's extremely passionate about what he does, so athletics. And uh, the first time I met him, uh, we had the session with the athlete the, day, the first day, and then the second day, we just spent it talking about training and application of it or athletics in general. And we spent uh, at his house five straight hours talking about uh, running and I was just taking notes and uh, and just sitting there listening with uh, no breaks, no food, no water, nothing. And uh, eventually I had to leave because I had to coach. But yeah, that gives you an idea about how into, uh, how passionate he is into, into athletics and, and uh, sport in general. Can you give an overview of that methodology that you first came upon through his book and then later through uh, working with him and, and talking with him? How, how does he work with, with his runners? Yeah, so I think there are a few 
principles that uh, they they stand out from his philosophy. You've got uh, first of all the specificity. So with running, it's quite easy compared to other sports because you just have to be mindful about the speed. So if you want to run, uh, let's say, an 800 meters in one minute 43, you know that every 200 meters you have to run at that speed. If you want to run a marathon in two hours 06, 36, you know that you have to run three minutes per kilometer and so forth. So it's very clear the goal that you have and the distance, of course, that you have to cover. And uh, another um, positive uh, thing about uh, like, and, well, something that makes planning running the training a bit easier is that you usually have even paced races or if you want to go for a time probably the best way to do it is evenly paced except for maybe 800 meters so the very very first thing that renato does is just targeting the race and then say okay we know that we can run at this pace or we aim to run at this pace based on the time we've got and where where is your starting point and then moving backwards from there. So you got your specific target, uh, and then you got uh, the support from the endurance and speed side. So you got, uh, let's say, 5%, well, speed, uh, specific speed plus minus 5%, uh, and then plus minus 10%, and then plus minus 15%. Uh, and that sort of creates a funnel of uh, speeds and intensities that uh, they need to be targeted doing uh, during the training period um, so you you want to start off from the extremes uh, so from the speed and endurance perspective uh, when we speak about specific workouts so you still have uh, the uh, easy aerobic uh, exercise just as a uh, aerobic support and maintenance and uh, uh, just easy training really uh, but on the other hand uh, when you look into the workouts you've got Maybe you start off 20% or 50% uh, slower and faster as as targets for your workouts. And then you funnel closer and closer to the race pace as weeks and months uh, move, uh, move forward. Um, the other thing that uh, he always preaches uh, is you lose what you don't use. So uh, you have this range of speeds. Uh, but if you start at 20, plus minus 20% uh, and then you funnel towards the specificity, uh, you may lose some of the adaptations you've got at the beginning. So from time to time, you still have to go back uh, and uh, give a little bit of stimulus uh, from, from the speed or endurance side, as well as uh, at the very beginning when you got a very big range of intensities and you're targeting uh, something quite far from, from the race pace, uh, you still want to have some intensities which are around the race pace. And then what changes over time is the emphasis and the percentage of work you're doing uh, at these, at these uh, intensities. So you're funneling closer and closer to the race pace and having a higher volume of, of work done at the race pace. Um, and then... Uh, a couple of other things that uh, you you definitely see and and they stand out uh, is that uh, you got a, a change in in the density of training. So uh, instead of going, uh, let's say, this classical example he he was used to give was well, you can't expect to get better if you keep doing uh, uh, ten times four hundred meters every week because that's just going to be the same stimulus. You may get faster, but in, it's not the optimal way to do it. 
if instead you you start let's say with uh, uh, 10 times 400 meters and then you go five times uh, two times 400 meters uh, with a short recovery in between the two 400 meters uh, that's gonna increase the density and then eventually you may move to five times 800 meters uh, and then uh, you may go for time for, for uh, maintaining the same volume so that's four kilometers and you go maybe four times one kilometer and then you reduce the recovery again and you go five times uh, uh, sorry, uh, two times, two times, one hundred, uh, one one thousand meters uh, with, let's say, thirty seconds in, in between and two minutes between the sets, and then you go two times two thousand meters and and so forth. So that's that's sort of uh, the idea with with any any type of of development uh, from a from a workout perspective. So you you increase the density instead of just repeating the same workout and hoping that you're getting faster and faster. How how does that uh, does he use that mainly, or so that he basically starts at the target volume already for a given type of workout, or does he also work with uh, increasing the the volume of a certain type of workout? Let's say if it is a ten times four hundred, would he in some part of the season try to increase that to twelve times four hundred, fourteen, sixteen, and so on? Yeah, yeah, the volume changes as well. Uh, it depends. On the targets because uh, uh, when you get let's say again this example of uh, 10 times uh, 400 uh, uh, you can either move towards having this four times one kilometer or you can move to just increase the volume over time so if you're able to do let's say uh, these these uh, five sets of 800 meters uh, you'll be able either to go for this 400 10, 10 sets of 400 quicker or you can probably do two or three more because you've been adapting with a different intensity. So you've got that as well. Uh, and it, it, it really depends on the target. So you can have uh, an increase in intensity given uh, by the increase in, in speed if that's your target uh, or an increase in volume if you need to do that. So with, uh, let's say marathon training, which, which is, is it, it works quite well. You, you would start maybe with uh, six sets of uh, three kilometers uh, at marathon pace, one kilometer at, let's say, 90% marathon pace. And then uh, you increase that volume instead of uh, um, uh, having uh, 18 kilometers at marathon pace, for example, because uh, you, you need more time to develop uh, the 42 kilometers of the marathon instead of uh, something which is more uh, track-related, which, which can can be even longer than than the volume of the race itself so with marathon running uh, you may just final from there all the way to having uh, workouts that can be something like five times uh, five kilometer one kilometer at uh, the same intensity so marathon pace and 90 percent marathon pace or uh, some other workouts which are even more intense mm, yeah um and uh, on that topic of using it or losing it that's something that especially in triathlon i find is actually really hard because you still want to if when you still want to do your specific workouts and you have three disciplines to that you need to do that in and then to still be able to fit in the maintenance uh, parameters basically or the maintenance type of training maintaining let's say vo2 max or whatever it might be uh i'm curious how does he do it does he use it or lose it uh, 
a couple of different things within the same session or maybe mix it in with one of the specific sessions or or does he always tend to use a dedicated session already to the quality that he wants to to maintain i'm not sure if i made that question very clear. yeah no, no, it is it is very clear and it is something that that yeah it gets tricky. I think one of the main things, again, with, with Renato, even with other high-profile coaches, is that they don't think of uh, the training cycle, microcycle as seven days block. They they stretch it to, let's say, Claudio Berardelli, for example, he stretches it usually to 10 days. Uh, Renato can have it up to 21 days. So, uh, of course, you have some uh, some workouts, some some stimulus that they need to be more uh, frequent than others. Uh, so you you have to be aware of that. Uh, but there's no reason why we have to stick to seven days programs uh, and and targeting uh, always the same or the same goals there. So if you stretch it to two weeks, uh, you probably have more more room to get these stimulus uh, and and different stimuli as well. Um, and yeah, the other thing you mentioned about trying to mix uh, stimulus in the same session. Uh, that's also something that he, he tends to do. So you may have either uh, alternating uh, like something quite speed dominant to something more specific to the race uh, or on the other hand, just funneling from one intensity to the other. Uh, so you start some, some, some sort of exercise, which is uh, slightly longer and slower, and then you progress uh, quicker and quicker on the track. Um, but yeah, uh, the difficult thing with, with when, when you look at uh, Renato's programs, uh, at least when they are out uh, as in um, published or just like available online and it's what actually the athletes have been doing is that they always uh, adjusted based on the situation. So with him being uh, with the athletes uh, doing the workouts, uh, he can see if the athlete is coping with it well or not well. And then uh, he adapts uh, the workout as it goes. So you may want to have 10 times uh, one kilometer uh, sort of workout, uh, but then the athlete can't cope with the pace or he needs a bit more recovery. So you may bring it down to uh, 800 meters or 500 meters. uh, And then you may still have the same overall volume, but the number of reps goes up. So if you read it uh, somewhere, it's like, oh yeah, I'll try this workout. Uh, but that wasn't necessarily the workout that it was met. It was planned for the athlete. The, the idea was 10 times 1K, but then eventually we had to adapt uh, to the athlete and, and change uh, the, the aims uh, uh, because he couldn't cope with, uh, with the intensity, for example. So, uh, yeah, yep. I'm just going to, yeah, I'll carry on. Sorry. I, I was going to carry on with with an, the follow the next question, which would be basically: Are there things that you would that you do differently in your or fi- basically principles that you have that are slightly different than than Canova's coaching, or are you following the a very similar methodology without any major differences? Yeah, I think methodology wise, uh, uh, I I can't. I can't really comment because he's been uh, in the game for so long that, uh, yeah, uh, I've, I've got such a big influence from him that basically my way of programming, at least running uh, programs itself, it is very, very similar. And uh, sometimes we get to talk about uh, uh, differences here and there, but he's always the one uh, giving insights. Uh, I, I 
think I've got a slight different attitude on uh, on other things. So strength training is one of them. Uh, we worked uh, together uh, with some athletes uh, and I supported some of his athletes from a strength training perspective. Uh, but his vision is uh, more towards prevention, as we said before. To, instead of a self-performance enhancement. Uh, so he was happy with me having the, the Samsung uh, strength, heavy strength exercises performed. But uh, yeah, uh, his, his view is more like, well, we do it to prevent uh, injuries. Uh, I would do a bit more testing uh, just because, well, Renato, he's got like 40 years, well, more, 60 years. Yeah, probably six, well, nearly, let's say, between 55 and 60 years experience uh, in coaching runners. So he's got the eye of, of the coach and he knows what a performance means and what a workout means uh, in a performance setting, whether I, I don't have that. So I would test athletes a bit more uh, in the lab to, again, just guide a little bit training prescription and then uh, something that he's not been doing much recently i think just because of of the fact that he's got so much experience and and outcomes from what he's been doing uh, in in the past 30 years or so is uh, he doesn't try as much anymore he doesn't in, introduce new things anymore but uh, i i would try to do that so i'll give Five to ten percent uh, uh, of of the training prescription based on some some new insights uh, that they may be helpful for for improving performance. Mm, yeah, that's an interesting point. Uh, so so now then, uh, I'm asking in 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 light of this, I'm asking you for kind of your thoughts, so we know where where you stand. Um, how what are some tips that you would give for? amateur athletes training for running specifically and, and especially for the marathon because i think that's the one that is so popular for uh for amateur athletes so if you can give a few marath marathon training tips for amateur athletes that would be great yeah yeah of course uh well it won't be too different from what we said before but yeah it's going to be probably applied to to them and uh, of course you have differences between high profile athletes or just elite athletes and, and amateur athletes due to time constraints and so on. Uh, but yeah, keep it simple, first of all. So uh, you can plan it over seven or 14 day cycle, but uh, uh, yeah, you can't really play around with it too much. So you can't allow that much flexibility. Uh, so just, just have something that you can stick to and, and make sure that uh, you can keep it consistent, basically. Uh, just get your goal, know roughly what your performance can be there and then uh, walk backwards from there with uh, the uh, specificity and the funneling that we we mentioned before so just make sure that you get enough uh, specific uh, workouts uh, uh, leading up to the to the race so one of the big issues you you always see with marathon runners is that they do maybe 30 kilometers long runs, uh, but they do it at 80 or 85% of the marathon pace uh, or 90% of the marathon pace. And then they do uh, five times 2,000 meters uh, at uh, or slightly faster the marathon pace. And then they just expect that uh, they can show up to the race and magically merge these two together to have uh, a marathon at the target pace. Well, that rarely happens uh, so you want to basically get that specific marathon pace and volume uh, developed over time uh, so that's something that not, not many people do and you as an amateur athlete you still 
have to get probably long runs of 32, 35, even 38 kilometers uh, around marathon pace or close to marathon pace. It doesn't necessarily need to be at marathon pace all the time. You have you can have variations, you can have a progression of speed, but you want to accumulate uh, enough uh, volume at the specific marathon training, uh, uh, at the specific marathon pace uh, in training, basically. Uh, of course, you'll have uh, less overall volume, so you can't expect to do 20 times uh, one kilometer, uh, but that, that's fine. Uh, it's just like due to time constraints. Um, and uh, yeah, I would I would try to when looking into basically Renato's philosophy, I would keep in mind the difference that you may have uh, in the, the time that you have to 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 cover distance compared to elite athletes. So if you get I don't know a long run of uh, forty kilometers that sometimes elite athletes do, their long run of forty kilometers may be one hour uh, two hours uh, fifteen. And with you, it may will it may well be three hours or more. So, uh, yeah, it's worth keeping that in mind uh, because the load of that long exposure uh, of running it may create issues or it may be longer to to recover from. Yeah, absolutely. Those are all great points. And uh, one one thing actually, this came up on Twitter yesterday. I wasn't even researching for this interview; it just randomly popped up. But somebody posted a quote from Renato saying about the difference in mentality between African runners and European runners, that if I, if I give a, a workout of one hour at three minutes per kilometer pace and, and it's a bit too, too hard for the athlete, basically what the African runner will do is they will run at three minutes per kilometer until they can't run at that speed anymore, whereas the European runner will run a bit slower at the speed that they can hold for, for one hour. So, yeah, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Is this something that you've seen as well? And and also, and do you think that is that something? Is there something to learn from 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 that about basically trying to yeah hold hold the intensity rather than the duration? What are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, I think I think it really much aligns with his way of of, of thinking about it, and it's something that I've I've heard a lot of times from from Renato with conversations with with other people, uh, and you see it in races as well. You see uh, East African runners uh, just try to keep up with the pace and then eventually dropping out, uh, but they don't really start conservatively. So I think uh, there were a female uh, marathon, a half marathon runner. Uh, I can't remember her name. I think she had the world record recently. Uh, that basically she she kept on racing half marathons, uh, and initially she dropped out at uh, I don't know twenty minutes, and then after forty, and then after fifty, and and eventually she managed to to run the whole race. Uh, I think it's it's, it's two different things, uh, but. Uh, yeah, the, the difference in attitude there is, is basically East Africans, they just, just try to, to hang on with, uh, with the group and, and they, they don't really think about it too much. I think, uh, Europeans or, or, uh, Americans as well, maybe, uh, we just tend to, to think too much about numbers sometimes. Uh, we look at our heart rate, we look at our pace, uh, and, or I don't know, am, am I breathing too hard or whatever? And, and that somehow limits uh, our capacity to, to, to perform at times, uh, both in training and racing. Uh, so even when you, you suggest some, some workouts to athletes, uh, sometimes they're like, oh, this is crazy. How can you do it? 
and maybe it's the first workout to build a marathon block. So it may be 28 or 30 kilometers uh, at a decent pace. And they go, oh, this is not possible. You got to try. So we, I, th- I think, yeah, Europeans, they tend to be a bit more in, uh, not in the comfort zone, but uh, they, they, they struggle pushing themselves uh, somewhere that uh, they feel like they, they won't be able to, to cope with. And, uh, yeah, instead of, uh, just trying and go for it, uh, they, they know, oh, I have to run for, uh, an hour. So let's try to run an hour. And if I know that I can't cope with that speed, I'm just going to run slower. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's just attitude, but specificity. Again, if you have the, the aim to run eventually, uh, eventually, uh, a marathon at three minutes per kilometer pace, well, you have to get exposed to it. Otherwise, if you just slow it down and hope that you're going to be able to do it in a race, that that will not happen. Yeah, uh, no, that that makes sense. And uh, one final question on run training. If we talk about run training in a triathlon context, and and maybe here we can go back to um, what, let's say, the elite short course athletes are doing. What are the things that you would say, I'm uh, being involved in that uh, setting, that that translate from running let's say and what are the thing the key differences that maybe don't translate so much and that are more specific to triathlon if we can yeah try to highlight some similarities and differences where they exist yeah so uh, i want to point out that i'm not a triathlon coach so uh, i i tend to advise coaches on on training uh, running training uh, in in triathlon and again physiology as well uh but uh, i usually give some some inputs and then they know how to implement it best because they got the cycling and uh, the swimming as well so volumes uh, they will be different so that's one of the things usually triathletes they they have to adjust a little bit in volumes because they they can't be exposed to such high uh, running volumes otherwise you would take days to recover uh, so with with uh, like a marathon training workout you may get even three or four easy days uh, or like days without workouts after a very specific block of marathon running uh, and 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 training but you would never get that in triathlon so you you have to sort of yeah, compromise a little bit the volume and the density of the workout due to the demands of other sports. Uh, but yeah, you, you want to consider, first of all, the race demands. So uh, we're speaking about short course triathlon here. Uh, you got, well, the length can vary. So you got uh, either sprint or the Olympic, uh, and therefore that will be different. And the type of race, uh, so is that uh, an athlete uh, that... Uh, can be in the pack with the side, the bike, and then they, they try to, to be with the running at the end and, uh, and, and go for the win. Or is it an outfit that actually still needs to improve uh, the bike uh, to get to the final part of the race uh, within the first group or not? Uh, so, um, looking into running that that's possibly the last thing you, you, Try to build around the, the triathletes uh, uh, in in water in in um, and WTCS races at the moment. It's like when well, you first of all want to be able to be there in the front uh, uh, on the running side, because if you can't be there, then even if you got a very good run, you won't be able to to be in the top positions because because 
the level is just too high at the moment. So you may want to just maintain running if you're a decent or good runner and develop the other qualities. If on the other hand, you're in a situation where your running needs to improve, uh, yeah, look at uh, what we said before. So racing demands and like the gaps between your performance and the demands of the race itself. So if you have to run, let's say 305 per kilometer and you're running 310, how can we get you to run 305 from 310? And, and we go back to, to all the discussion we had before about uh, that specific athlete that, for example, needed to do a little bit more uh, anaerobic uh, and, and threshold worker to, to get that specificity in. Uh, and then well, one of the other things that you, of course, don't have in running is uh, the run of bike. So like being able to still have a good run of a hard bike ride or just like a, a, an intense bike ride as a training session. And that's something that, again, goes into the specificity and, and you need to develop. So then in training, you may either want to target uh, that uh, as an uh, uh, intense bike ride and then develop the run to get slightly quicker over time, or you want to play around with the bike and having it slightly harder or not, uh, uh, depending on the weeks and uh, maintaining the same run afterwards, for example. So here you're talking about a brick run, right? Yes, uh, yeah. Implementing brick workouts in training. Okay, yeah. Because that's also an area I feel where um, there's two schools of thoughts uh i mean that makes sense because there are two options you can do them or you cannot do them but but it is quite common to hear um quite quite a few athletes and coaches saying that yeah they don't really do brick runs and uh and i, I think maybe also maybe it's more common in in long course triathlon to be honest because there the speed is a bit lower so so it might make more sense that it's it's a bit more comfortable even though now in half distance the speed is really really high especially um but yeah do you, do you feel that on in the short course scene i know you can probably only talk um with certainty about the italians but do you feel that it's very common that most of the athletes do brick workouts in short course or can you speak to that yeah i wouldn't be able to tell uh <laughs> i've just got too little data about it uh, i feel again just fitting into that specificity principle you you will want to do it uh, eventually uh because the demands of the bike on the short course triathlon now that's so high that if you're not prepared for it, uh, then you're going to run one or two kilometers and then just your legs, they, they're going to leave you. Uh, but yeah, I can't, I can't really tell how is the training happening at the moment uh, uh, across the board. Sorry about yeah. that. Yeah. No problem. Um, yeah, I think we have talked for a long time. And uh, so I think we have to start to wrap it up here. Uh, but uh, let's do the rapid fire questions first and the first one is what's your favorite book or resource related to endurance sports yeah it's not uh, endurance sports per se it's about performance but uh, uh, it's a book from steve magnus and uh, brad stolberger peak performance uh, so it uh, it has a lot of uh, examples on endurance performance and yeah strongly recommended and what's an important habit that you've benefited from athletically professionally or personally yeah i think consistency really uh, and you you see it in every realm of, of life as uh, at least i've seen it in every realm of life uh, just uh, being able to keep showing up uh, even if uh, things are not going too well or if results are not coming it's basically just keep hammering uh, that rock uh, and then after a thousand times it's gonna break uh, sort of thing so even if results are not there uh temporarily that doesn't mean that you don't have an effect uh, uh, over time and that binds into like 
just being passionate about what you do as well. So if you don't have the passion to do it uh, or the enjoyment uh, of doing it, then you won't be able to be consistent uh, for, for long enough to make a difference. I love that hammering the rock analogy. I haven't heard it, but it's really good. Uh, who's somebody that you look up to or that has inspired you? Yeah, I'm going to name three people just because I, I couldn't really leave any of them out. So I'll get uh, well, Renato Canova uh, just because of the influence he had on, on myself and like the passion he's got and the, the great person he is. Andy Jones uh, because, again, the influence he's got uh, on on sports science and application of it to endurance sports. And I had the chance to be with him uh, recently as well, which has been great. And then uh, Claudio Berardelli, which is uh, a coach in Kenya that is the first one I've done uh, my my basically the first exposure of uh, elite performance I've had and I've learned a lot from him. Excellent. And finally, where can people follow you and your work? Yeah, uh, I am on basically just Twitter really at the moment. Uh, I can't even remember my handle. It should be at Mick Zanini. Uh, but yeah, if you if you look Michele Zanini there, you, you'll find it quite easily. I'm not super active, but... It will uh, be in the show notes. Yeah, thank you. And yeah, don't really use Instagram or Facebook much. So yeah, that, that's not helpful. All right. <laughs> Yeah, no, but now they have two hours of uh, of your knowledge on this podcast, so so that's uh, that's a really good start as well. Uh, so thank you so much, Michele. I, I really enjoyed uh, chatting to you, and uh, hope we can do it another time for another couple of hours. Thank you, Michael. Really enjoyed it, and yeah, apologies, it stretched out a bit too long than expected. Hope it wasn't uh, too long or uh, <laughs> demanding. Thanks again for having me. I hope that you enjoyed that interview. As always, you can find the show notes on scientifictriathlon.com. Again, there's a whole lot of links to dig into for those interested, both related episodes that I've done with uh, people mentioned uh, throughout uh, this interview on the triathlon show, but also a bunch of papers that were mentioned uh, in passing or in uh, a bit more detail. So uh, lots of links for those interested to dig deeper. Check them out if you are interested. If you want to improve your triathlon performance and want help to achieve your goals, then consider working with a scientific triathlon coach or a training plan. We have options for athletes of all different levels, for different budgets, and no matter the size of your goals. Uh, we have no minimum commitment term nor startup fees for coaching. And for the training plans, we have a 100% satisfaction guarantee for plans purchased on our website and an exchange guarantee so that you can exchange your plan for another plan if you purchase through Training Peaks. We also have consultation and customized plan options, so there's something for everyone. You can find out more and contact us on scientifictriathlon.com and we can discuss your specific goals and needs and see what's best for you. Uh, just a quick mention, as I also said last week, I have had a few issues with some uh, some email servers basically blocking my emails. So there have been inquiries where I have emailed a person back and uh, they haven't received my email because it's blocked or it, it ended up in the spam folder. And in certain cases, I've been able to find uh, the person anyway but in others not not so much luck so if you have sent us an email an inquiry about uh, coaching or training plans and you didn't get an answer it's not because uh, we're ignoring you uh, this is probably the reason so in that case i would suggest just try a different channel try instagram or twitter those would be the the primary ones uh, that, that i would recommend and uh, i'm sure that we can get in touch that way and hopefully this uh, email issue isn't isn't affecting too many people i don't think it is but uh, I do want to mention it in case it has affected uh, anyone of you listening.
Finally, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration, that you can find on precisionfuelandhydration.com. If you are looking for electrolytes and fueling products, I would highly recommend trying them out. You can use their free fuel and hydration planner or even a free video consultation with the team to prepare your race strategy. And don't forget to take 15% off your first order with the code TTS23. And thank you to Zenate. Use the Zenate swim training to improve your technique, power, and swim training consistency. Even if you have just 15 minutes available, you can get a time-efficient Zenate workout done at home that will help you swim better. You can try the Senate Gris free for up to 30 days and get 20% off your first order from senatesinter.com for session TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving craft life.